Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, Breen, chickens, and things to episode 24 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. As always, we are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And Jarman, what are those? Oh, those are the Muppets and Star Trek. And we do one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have special Muppet Show guest, Vincent Price. Yes. And the original series episode, This Side of Paradise. Paradise. Ah, <laughs> so tell us, Steve, about our guest this week, who people will know this time, Vincent Price. Man, Vincent Price, American horror legend, uh, whose career spanned nearly 60 years. He is part of an, um, just the American zeitgeist and one of an elite group that has multiple stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Multiple stars. Both for, both for TV and film. Mm. For big for classics like House of Wax and Last Man on Earth. What does our audience and our generation know him from? Well, he played the role of the inventor in Edward Scissorhands, as well as playing the villain Radigan in the Disney classic, The Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> and he is the narrator for Michael Jackson's thriller music video. Lest we forget. But this week on The Muppet Show, on stage, Kermit comes out to introduce a strange show this week, accompanied by bats. After promising no silliness, he is pied in the face. The opening number features a large orange monster eating a shivering pink one. They then sing together, I Got You Under My Skin, with the pink monster in the stomach and mouth of the large monster. After this, Hilda is given the honor of introducing the next sketch because she is from Transylvania. So that's canon now, I guess. That I Hilda guess. Is from Transylvania. This leads us into the House of Horrors. Gonzo and Fozzie have rented a big spooky place, and it turns out they rented it from a, like a vampire magazine. <laughs> things take a turn when vincent price a vampire basically shows up with uh uncle deadly his lovely assistant they warn him oh no vincent price turns into a terrible beast at midnight but oh no it's new year's eve so it's even worse he turns into jack parnell who the hell is that so he so he was the real life conductor of the muppet orchestra for the duration of the show oh i see so it's kind of like an inside joke gotcha Sam the Eagle provides an introduction for Wayne and Wanda, Wanda, insinuating that their wholesomeness will counter the spooky show. They then go on to perform Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. They don't get too far before Wanda is cursed and turned into a monster. She's bewitched. Following this, we get a panel discussion, a sketch we saw in early episodes, but honestly haven't seen a ton recently. The topic this week is fine dining. Vincent Price plays himself as a gourmand and has invited two guests, a French chef and a huge monster, and the huge monster eats more and more until he tries to eat Kermit. Mm -hmm. After this, we find ourselves at the dance where the best joke this week is where a female puppet complains to her date that she wants a bite to eat. Her partner is revealed to be a vampire who loves the idea. Up next, we get the talk spot where Kermit and Vincent Price, Vincent grows a pair of fangs showing his acting prowess. Kermit also then reveals he has fangs and he bites Vincent Price. Next is the Muppet News Flash, where furniture is eating people. We pull back to find someone watching the News Flash being attacked by various pieces of furniture and then finally being eaten by the television. Up next, we get a quick bit with Sweetums and Vincent. Vincent needs a hand with his wardrobe, and Sweetums gives him a hand, literally. Following this, we get Talking Houses. It's short and pointless, but 
I'm pretty sure this is the last one. Oh, you say that, but we might run to another one. Finally, we come to the closing number. Vincent and some spooky companions join together to sing You've Got a Friend. It's a truly iconic Muppet show number. The final curtain comes. Kermit wants the audience to give Vincent a hand, but he gives Kermit a hand, his own, literally. The perfect spooky ending. And that is what we call the Muppet show this week. Backstage, someone new is auditioning. It turns out it's the three-headed monster called Tom, Dick, and Harry. We get a rare backstage music number this week with the ghost from the uh, at the dance sketch performing I'm Looking Through You backstage. Mm-hmm. Kermit explains that uh, the three can't do the show, uh, but they have a song prepared, T for Three. Tom, Dick, and Harry then run into Fozzie, uh, who explain their new act, where one of them is going to be a comic, one of them is going to be a straight man, the other one's going to be an audience, so they always have someone in the audience that loves their act. And that's the whole backstage plot this week. It's pretty shallow. Now, I have to say before we even go any further, um, I had a different version than you. So, yes. So did you mention the I've Got You Under My Skin number? Yeah, I did. Okay, that, so we got that. That was before, because there's two different creatures eating other Muppets. Yeah, there's a lot of creatures eating other creatures. Um, and I did not get the last You've Got a Friend in Me number. Um, uh, you've Got a Friend? Oh, man. Yeah. It's a classic. It is like the iconic one. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to watch that on YouTube or something. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Damn it, Charmin. Yeah, that sucks that my version didn't have that. Why would they why would they take that out of the, the version? Because I have? the version you have is like ripped from some TV thing where they added two extra minutes of credit of like advertisements. That's terrible. Yes. Anyways. This week, music on the show. I got you under my skin by Cole Porter, nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song, as it was featured in the movie Born to Dance. Hmm. This eventually became a huge hit for the four seasons and a signature song for Frank Sinatra, of course. Of course. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered from a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical that I'd never heard of called Pal Joey, the story (laughs) of a nightclub performer trying to get famous who ends up having an affair with a wealthy woman. I'm looking through you from the Beatles album Rubber Soul. This is about actress Jane Asher, who Paul McCarthy dated, uh, who refused to give up her stage career and focus on Paul when the Beatles took off, and he really resented her for it, and they broke up. Because she didn't give up her career for him? Yeah. Oh, what a jerk. Uh, fun connection here. She was in the Vincent Price classic, The Mask of the Red Death. Ah, uh, yes. All right. Uh, you've got a friend, the most contemporary song this week, written by Carol King in 1971. This song won a Grammy for both James Taylor and Carol King in 71 and 72, as they were both recording their albums at the same time. Wow. They both It ended up on both of their records. Carol King for Song of the Year and Best Pop Vocal from a Male for James Taylor. But she wrote it? Yes. Okay, gotcha. But in fact, the idea is actually based off a line from one of his songs, though. Uh, okay. Winter, um, so they, spring, summer, or fall. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, John, what did you think of this cap off at the end of season one? Of the Muppet Show. Yeah, folks, we will mention that later, but this is the last episode of season one of the Muppet Show. That's right. Um, and I wish I would have had that number at the end because that would have changed a little the d- dynamic for me because mm-hmm. I feel like they didn't give enough meat to Vincent Price's performances and his scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, I never know how much time they have to actually film these episodes, but I feel like they just missed out on giving him more of an opportunity to 
to really stretch those Vincent Price acting muscles, you know? Um, and then instead there's just way too much focus on, Ooh, it's a Halloween episode. It's like, he's, yeah. he's also an actor and a human. Like he's not just Halloween Vincent Price. I guess he mostly is, but that's true. I mean, I don't know. It just, he has a lot more he could have given to it, this. Episode. Yeah. But it feels like in the red room, like Vincent Price come out and let's do a spooky episode. Yeah. And like, and nobody, and nobody thought any more about it. And they just did that. And the biggest scene he had like of, was that scene of the haunted house. And he just becomes, Someone who even most of the audience probably wouldn't understand who that is. I don't think. Yeah, maybe. I don't so, know. I don't know. It was just a, a missed opportunity, but not bad though. Like the scenes that were there were good, and he's he's good with the Muppets. He seemed totally comfortable. He's oh, used, he used to playing against you know prosthetics and monsters and stuff, so he's used to that kind of thing. So that worked out pretty well. Yeah, and I, I I agree with you. This this episode felt shallow. Yeah, it was very just shallow. very surface. There wasn't a lot of cohesion, like a backstory and the the story of the main plot going together, like we get sometimes in some episodes. Um, and but I mind you, I am sad that you didn't get you. You've got a friend because I think it would change a little bit of the dynamic. It is it really would. one of the iconic musical numbers from the Muppet show. Uh, but mind you, we've also established that a single great musical number can't save an episode. It does not episode make. That is true. Nope. But I did love Kermit getting fangs. That was pretty great. That was good. And so the, finally, everyone always attacks him at the end of his talk spot. So he finally had to attack someone else at the end of his talk spot. That's so true. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So a good, like, you know, middling episode for me. I was surprised. I was, I was a little saddened because I wanted the Vincent Price episode to blow me out of the water, but it didn't quite do that. But that's what this, this show has been doing so far is people I've never heard of have great episodes and people I've, I know really well have like, like Harvey Corman and stuff like have eh, kind of lackluster episodes. Yeah, sure. So that's me. Uh, so now we're going to do something that we will do at the end of when we hit an end of a season. Oh, wait, but favorite Muppeteering moment. Oh, favorite Muppeteering moment. I'm sorry. It's all right. Do it. Talk about it. So my favorite Muppeteering moment was definitely the got you under my skin, uh, monster. Cause at first I was like, oh, he's going to eat that guy. Okay. Big deal. But then that little Muppet kept like popping out of his skin, different places. I'm like, those guys must be right on top of each other. Like two puppet Muppeteers just like on each other, like going through this creature, like how the hell do they do that? And you don't think about this when you first start watching Muppets, like, oh, that's kind of neat. But like, those are humans doing that behind them somehow. <laughs> so it's, it's sure. it was very impressive. I was my favorite Muppeteering moment. Uh, I think my favorite this week goes to the ghosts. I think ah. it's just such a cool effect and was done very, very seamlessly and as a very cool trick. Yeah. Great in camera special effects too for that time. So that was done pretty well. Absolutely. I can appreciate that. So now on to the season wrap up where we hit the end of the season and we talk about the best and worst episodes. Yes. So Jarman, in no particular order, let's go through our worst episodes from season one of the Muppet show. Our worst episodes first. All right. Yeah. Worse than the best. So I think there's one we can start just throw out there. We're both going to understand Florence Henderson, Florence Henderson. It was (laughs) such a throwaway episode. It could have been any variety show Mm -hmm. and it was just nothing. Yeah, it was just nothing. I think it was an ego trip uh, episode for her. She's like, I'm going to sing these songs. I'm going to be in soft lighting and make me look good. And otherwise, it was boring. It was just like boring. And she has the capability of being really funny. She's been a lot of, I've seen her on talk shows and stuff. And she was very capable of doing a lot more. But I think it was just like, I want to look pretty and sing pretty songs. And so it's just, no, it didn't work. Uh, One highlight, though, is that that is the episode that features Coddleston Pie which is one of my favorite Rolf musical numbers. Uh, so yes. there are a few gems in that turd. That happens in a few of these episodes, like they'll like Manamanas in an episode randomly. It's like the episode, wasn't that right. great, but yeah. What's your second one? Cause we both have that as our first one. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think my next one, I'm going to go with mum and shots. 
Oh, I like the Mum and Shans episode. I liked aspects of the Mum and Shans episode, but I feel like every single thing with Mum and Shans just ran too long. I can agree with that. Um, so maybe they should have had Mum and Shans on for like a guest spot. Yeah, like that we did with uh, the Shadow Puppet guy. They did sure, this. Like maybe a- that should have been how they portrayed them, but to make them the guest for the episode, meh. Right, because they could have done the Shadow Puppet thing where I have him for one little scene. Um, uh, that being said, that is the episode that has Mr. Bassman, which is another iconic <laughs> musical number performed by Scooter and Floyd Pepper. That's true. And is it really, is it probably the only episode of The Muppet Show that has like a multiple guest host thing where it's like multiple people as the host? No, because um, Chris Christopherson and his wife, I can't remember her Barbara name. Barbara Streisand? Co host. No, this oh. is pre Barbara. Gotcha. Co-host in a later season. I see. Well, that's a little different, I guess, but not a bunch of guys in mass. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. So on that same note of the Florence Henderson uh, ego boost kind of boring episode, I put Lena yeah. Horn. Okay. Because it was just, there was also one of those numbers that went on way too long with her in soft lighting, her singing. And I was just like, I don't care. And it wasn't that funny. It was very forgettable. Um, there were other forgettable episodes, but this one I remember sticking out as just like, ugh, I'm just not into it. Okay. I think my final um, worst episode of the season, uh, Ben Vereen. Oh, okay. It just was a real miss for me. I just feel like everything, it feels like everything didn't line up. That makes everything sense. Everything was just a little off. You know, besides the Fozzie stuck in a box oh, bit, yeah. I think there wasn't much notable about it. Uh, I can agree with that. It was definitely my, towards my bottom ones I had to choose from. And my last one I went with because of not because it was necessarily the worst, most boring episode of the first season, but because most missed opportunity is the Harvey Corman episode. Oh, um, yeah, I would agree with that. Because I really like Harvey Corman and everything else he's been in. And then he was just wasted. And there was that one scene with him being a ringmaster. And otherwise, it was just like, man, they could have used him a lot better. So that was just a complete misfire on my, on my account. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Complete misused. So top episodes, random, random chicken sketches were just terrible. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then like the dog chasing him around, like so bad. What? (laughs) It made no sense. All right. Best. I'm going to start with one that I think we can both agree on. All right. And that's Pete Usenoff. Pete Usenoff. Good old Pete. We're on first name terms now. He impressed us super early on. He related well with the Muppets. He was able to keep up with them in a way that a lot of other hosts can't and really embraced the silly nature of what he was there to do. I think he has so many accents and performance capabilities. Like he just works perfectly with the Muppets. It felt like he was a Muppet, basically. I would agree with that. Agree with that entirely. Yeah. Uh, he was my first as well. So my second, I'm going to go out here with a more recent episode, Ethel Merman. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think also she fits in so well with the formula of this kind of variety show. She felt right at home with them. They all got opportunity to sing and be in big numbers, big flashy numbers, her in like at the end coming out in like the peacock outfit basically. Um, and I just think it, it was fun. Lots of, they got through so many numbers at one time with those montages of, of songs. Um, it just, it, it flowed really well. It was just a good episode. So yeah, Ethel Merman, top three. Uh, my next one for also a more recent episode and one of our kind of unknowns that surprised us, Kay Ballard. Mm. I thought just had a solid, solid episode. That's very fair. Yeah. Um, great number was it one note Mamba just spectacular yes that's right uh, we get the country trio has a great number in there she she and Thog have that really cute number 
Yes. It's just a solid episode. That and was then up the there backstage for me too. plot about the the band hating the theme song, and it carried all the way through. It has a lot of really good tenants of episodes that we're about to come to in season two or three that are absolute classics. That's that's a really good choice. Um, yeah, and now I'm gonna pander real hard. I'm going Bruce Forsyth. Ooh, okay, <laughs> okay. And you know what did this for me is that I just love the moments with him and Fozzie connecting as comedians. And it just made it like a perfect fit for that episode. And he was really good with the Muppets. And he's the kind of host I want to see more of. He's kind of in the line of Pete Usinoff where he's multi-talented, uh, very charismatic, and a perfect kind of fit for the Muppets. And it just they led them to do a really good backstory with the A story and kind of worked really well. So Bruce Forsyth. I absolutely agreed. Nice. Uh, my final one is going to be uh, Mr. Paul Williams. Oh, yes. That was close to getting to my top three. So longtime friend of the Muppets and ended up writing a lot of music for the Muppets uh, has the great opening number. Uh, All of me where the, the, the like Muppet literally tears its body apart. That's puts right. in a box. <laughs> Old fashioned love song, which is spectacular. You get a Muppet labs in there. You get a bunch of short jokes, <laughs> lots um, of short jokes, lots of short jokes. And then the great, uh, how to get to Pittsburgh sketch where he gives them cheaper and cheaper methods. It's just great. Oh, that was great. I forgot about that. Um, I think it's just overall solid episode really held together by Paul Williams. Good choices. Absolutely. Well, that was a good season wrap up, but now German, let's talk about the original series episode we watched this week. That's right. So this week we have this side of paradise, and this is in some top 10 lists for people to of necessary episodes of Star Trek, not necessarily the best, but ones that you should watch because there's just interesting backstory and cool stuff in the episode that talks about the characters, but it's a, it's a quirky episode. Um, so the Enterprise is ordered to the Federation colony, Omicron SETI-3, not SETI Alpha 5, but Omicron SETI-3. Uh, they think they are headed to a graveyard because it was discovered that the colony would have been bathed in a new type of radiation called Bertrolt radiation, if I'm saying that right, um, that would have killed all the colonists within a week. But when they get there, uh, Bones, Spock, and Kirk beam down with others, and they discover the colonists are alive and well, and they're still led by their colonist leader, uh, Elias Sandoval. And Sandoval explains that they only lost communications with the Federation because they had an equipment failure, failure, but they've been here this whole time, safe and sound. Um, and suddenly, Layla Kolami appears. Ooh, she's bathed in this beautiful light, like usually the women are in the show. Um, and she's a botanist that had a thing for Spock over six years ago. And she loved him back then, but he was unable to return her love due to him being Vulcan and all. And the landing party, including Sulu, discovered that there is no animal life at all on this planet, not even insects, just a lot of plants and the colonists. Hmm. So Bones examines the colonists and he finds that they are all in perfect health, a little too perfect. And he finds that their previous injuries and surgeries that are on record are apparently gone, like appendectomies and that kind of thing. So they basically grew back an appendix. So Kirk uh, still insists that the colonists be evacuated because it's still dangerous and he doesn't know what's going on. But their leader, Sandoval, objects. So Kalami convinces Spock to let her show him around. So she brings him over to this flower and the flower sneezes pollen all over him. And there's gifts of this all over the internet. Um, and once he recoups from being hit by the pollen, he is overwhelmed with emotion. And suddenly he professes his love for her. And he's just overly emotional. And Kirk tries to contact Spock after he goes missing for a while on his communicator. And Spock ignores him and defies his orders and says, whatever, I don't need to talk to you. And he proceeds to make out with Kalami, which is you know kind of cool. Get it, Spock. You never do get some <laughs> and the rest of the landing party is slowly exposed to the same spores of the flowers. Um, so the whole landing party is basically infected now and they all want to stay on the planet, be peaceful and happy. 
and they're all acting like happy zombies, basically. But for some reason, Kirk is hit by it, but he's unaffected at this point, which is not really explained why he's not affected yeah, by the first hit. He gets it just like everyone else. It's weird. Yeah. So Kirk returns to his ship and tries to contact Starfleet, but the crew on the ship has now been infected too because they beamed up some of the spores up to the ship. And Ahura has burned out the radio so they can't contact Starfleet. She just lets there be communication between them and the planet because she's affected too. So Kirk has then exposed the spores again because they're on the bridge. And he begins to be affected, even starts packing up his stuff so he can leave. But he breaks out of it himself by getting really angry and saying, no, I won't be affected. And so he realizes that anger will make the spores leave your body. So he beams Spock up to the ship and goads him into a fight by calling him all sorts of horrible names like half-breed and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Spock finally breaks out of it and he beams up Kalami and he breaks up with her. And that makes her emotional enough to break out of it herself. And then Kirk and Spock devise a sonic feedback loop system of some sort to beam through the communicators to make everyone down the planet angry enough to break out of the spell, basically. Yes. So Sandoval, the leader of the colony, agrees to take the rest of the colonists back to the ship and evacuate. And that is this side of paradise. So a little bit of trivia here. Um, We have Spock hinting that he has uh, another name or a different name that uh, is more Vulcan, either his last name. It's not really quite clear. Um, but he says that most humans would not be able to pronounce it. So he tells her she can't pronounce his last name. Right. Uh, which is kind of cool canon there. Uh, the title, This Side of Paradise, is a reference to the de- debut novel of F. Scott Fitzgerald, which I didn't realize that was his novel. And during a one-man show in Orlando, Florida, of all places, where I'm living oh. right now, Leonard Nimoy said it was hard doing love scenes with Jill Ireland, the, the, the Kolami character, because her husband, Charles Bronson, was off right off of the camera watching off stage. <laughs> oh, man. So Charles Bronson, the tough guy himself from the 70s and 80s, was right there watching. Whoa, hardcore. Yeah. And this is the first episode in which Spock is shown to have superhuman strength because they have like three to five times the strength of a human, something like that. So right. you kind of show him throwing around Kirk and busting up things, which is pretty neat. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the trivia. So what did you think of this episode, Steve? Uh, so things I really liked it. Uh, I liked how I was thrown off the scent when he, the mind you, this is just from other sci-fi tropes. When they said the guy's appendix had grown back, uh, I was like, Oh, we got a body snatchers thing. Like that's a classic body snatchers trope. That's true. And Leonard Nimoy and, starred in body snatchers in the, in the late seventies. And so I was like already on this off trail. So for it to be something different was already kind of a surprise. Gotcha. Uh, I really appreciate any show that can have an episode with an indirect villain and do okay. And I felt like this kind of succeeded there. Mm. Uh, and st- smock, uh, Spock smile. Yeah. Something you don't get to see often. You kind of forget he has teeth. Like a full on smile. Yeah. Laughing. Yeah. But like really got to see Spock, not just acting weird. We've seen Spock acting weird, but act like jovial and completely outside of himself. That's fun. Uh, things I disliked maybe a little bit. Why did Sulu have to be the one to ask the dumb question? Is it possible they're not alive? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me, Sulu? You goddamn idiot. Just was shut up. A weird question to ask. It's like, what? Maybe they're holograms, but not. Are they dead? What? <laughs> and then I think that this suffers from what a lot of the episodes thus far have suffered from. Um, and even more so in some ways about how there's no real known parameters for the thing. Hmm. Like we didn't know exactly what the spore did or didn't do. And in this case, it was even worse than usual because bones literally refused to tell us anything. Well, they tell us later on, don't they? They do. But it was just one of those things where like through for three quarters of the episode, 
basically. <laughs> what are these spores doing? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? Bones, God damn it. Why aren't you here? I like the idea. It was a mystery. You don't know exactly what they're doing, but yeah, but it wasn't consistent. That was my issue is that if the spore makes people super happy, why isn't it everyone on the colony acting as weird as the crew is acting? Right. That's the true. guy was enthusiastic. Certainly come. We want to show you our soils. This planet is magnificent. Truly in Eden. He was like excited, but he wasn't <laughs> like, he wasn't insane or like just going with his, what he wanted to do. Right. He wasn't like total hippie off his, off his, rocker kind of thing right his people were still following orders that makes sense um so i don't know i just felt weird and inconsistent be consistent with your parameters of your weird alien space spores um so this one's going to be kind of like middle maybe exact middle that's fair because it wasn't crap there was some fun moments great seeing spock looking like that um some good lines like these are our self-made purgatories and we must live in them spock uh, there were some very sexual overalls worn Yes, that I appreciated. You don't get to see many sexual overalls, sexy overalls. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, do we have any Trek connection, Muppet connections this week? Oh boy, do I. Uh, Alicia Cook Jr., who played Kirk's lawyer on the episode Court Martial, he was also in The House on Haunted Hill, starring Vincent Price. Oh, from what I can tell, and this is weird, an unofficial biography of William Shatner called William Shatner was released on various platforms by an author who is coincidentally named Vincent Price. But a different person? Yes. <laughs> coincidentally I, named Vincent Price. That's really weird. The Sears Radio Theater, which later became the Mutual Radio Theater, ran weeknights from 1979 to 81. Each night had a different theme and with it a different host. Vincent Price was the host on Wednesdays for Mystery Night and Leonard Nimoy was the final host of Adventure Nights on Fridays. Very cool. And uh, now this is a big one. Vincent Price, as well as Nichelle Nichols, William Shatner, Gene Roddenberry, Leonard Nimoy, are all recipients of the Life Career Award given by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. These are the folks that run the Saturn Awards every year. Oh. Very yeah. nice. So they've all Good got those awards. Energy. Yeah, they've all won that like Lifetime Achievement Award. They deserve it. Damn right. So we have some similarities this week as well between oh, these yeah. two episodes. These are all the same show, really. Yeah. Uh, they both have a character that will be infected and changed mentally and physically. Price, Vincent Price, being turned into a vampire by Kermit, um, and the Spores changing the characters to serve their will. That's good. Uh, and under my skin, a monster eats something that lives inside of him, just like the spores live inside the crew. <laughs> uh, both the triple threat three-headed Muppet and the people of Omicron SETI 3 live in a delusional world of false happiness. The triple threat thinks that they will be <laughs> the best comedian ever because they can laugh at their own jokes with nothing to challenge them. And the people of the planet believe they can be happy when it's really false happiness with no challenges. Nice. Hmm. Both feature folks going to a new place expecting one thing and getting another. Fozzie and Gonzo with their rental and the crew with Omnicron whatever the hell. <laughs> Omnicron 73. I literally wrote down Omnicron whatever the hell. It's good it's enough. enough. <laughs> oh, God. what's that noise? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. Oh, no. All right, so this is the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other episode. Um, and for me, I have Vincent Price going over to become Elias Sandoval, the lead of the colony, 
Because okay. we were like, I'm, this colony is totally wonderful. I love it so much. The, the soil, it grows all the things. <laughs> It'd be wonderful. Uh, so similarly, I had Uncle Deadly coming over to replace Elias Sandoval. So his enthusiasm and excitement would be extra foreboding. <laughs> I love it. There he is. The, the ground is just perfect here. This must be from all the bones. <laughs> Speaking of bones, I have old country doctor bones. The one that at the end of the episode where he's hit by the spores. Oh, yeah. and his accent gets real thick and he makes a bunch of mint juleps. Um, I have... Julep. I have him taking over for Kermit, so he would serve all the guests in the Muppet Show mint juleps, and he'd lead a super laid-back show. It'd be great. Uh, I had uh, Spock replacing Wayne ah. and getting to sing, but which bothered and bewildered all like happy and toothy, and just found being <laughs> just to give Spock a little bit more time like that. And then Kolami or whatever would turn into a monster like in Wayne and Wanda. That's right. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of episode twenty-four of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest George Burns. An original series episode, The Devil in the Dark. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.